Hello and welcome to Bone Ditch by Ian Bird. Thank you for visiting. My name's Ian Bird and this is Bone Ditch, my collection of horror, mystery, suspense, romance, comedy, thriller, short stories about the bizarre eldritch entity that skulks in the dark and that you topple into without knowing any better. Each podcast is a standalone short story. Early episodes set our stage, but now we know our way around the graveyard. So in the best tradition of pushers and carnival barkers everywhere, I can genuinely say that this episode is the perfect jumping on point for new listeners. There's more detail on my website, www.boneditch.wordpress.com, where you can find the complete Kindle editions of these stories, my earlier podcasts, excerpts and doodles, and all the notes and poems and ideas that go to make up this bloody tapestry. Please feel free to visit, or to follow me on Twitter at, at @mrcarapus. Meanwhile, here's our twelfth short story, Gobbit 12, The Circus Siliquastrum. The Circus Siliquastrum. Jude's fidgeted next to me, still complaining. Pompous, preening, Eurotrash, poncing about in tights. Why are we here? I'm here because I haven't been to the circus in years and I've always loved it. You're here because you love me and because you owe me money. He scowled at me. Stop saying that. I'll pay you back. You know I will. Fuck, bearing grudges is just going to make you age quicker. Learn to take a fucking apology. The big top wasn't actually that big, but crowded inside with so many of the rest of our town, it felt cavernous, like a world of its own. The five small circus fans had only arrived that morning, before dawn, and we knew that they would be gone before daybreak tomorrow. They travelled lightly, it seemed, but they brought their own reality with them. Red fabric draped down around us, slivers of polished glass sewn into the tent, glittering like flames when the spotlights set into the ring arced and caught them. There were about three hundred of us in the tent, waiting for the performers. I could feel our anticipation writhing. We all wanted this. I've got things to be getting on with muttered Jude. Most of us wanted this. As acrobats slowly unfolded themselves from the deep shadows of the stage, turning then falling and leaping and flying faster and faster around and around the ring, that ring mistress finally appeared before us, smiling broadly. They were all smiling broadly, as were we, but they had no faces, just bleached skulls whose rictus grins seemed to flicker and smirk in the twisting light. A third eye socket caught the shadows embedded in the foreheads of each of those skulls. Okay, those are pretty cool masks, admitted Jude. Welcome to the Circus Siliquastrum, smiled the ring mistress. Thank you for calling to us and for inviting us to be with you here tonight. The performance, long awaited, had begun at last. It had all started three years before, the day that the police found the tree. Early that morning, just between the town of Alice and the creek, about seven miles from where they had found Haskell Jennings. It was obvious that no one would have ever found the tree, had Jennings not been nearly hit by that car as he staggered along the 160. So, drawled the policeman to his friend, thinking I was out of earshot, makes you wonder how many other trees there are just like this one, here and there, that we just haven't found yet. Crows, rooks, jackdaws and magpies filled the air and tore at the meat hanging there. The birds had found the tree easily enough. I had found it easily enough. It was exactly the nightmare that I had been waiting for, for more than 30 years. I was still on the outside, of course, there was no way the police were going to let me come in on the process that followed, identifying the bodies, working out what they all had in common, figuring out a motive. The police just expected me, like everyone else, to wait until all the work had been finished and could be presented to the public on opening night. I was only there because I had heard a tip. This was the beginning of it. The day I decided that I had to run away and join the circus, I've never been a very good spectator. I wanted to perform. 
Haskell Jennings, he was my starting point. He had been found naked, delirious and dehydrated, with a rude red burn all the way around his neck. Looking at the tree, it wasn't hard to guess, now, what had happened to him, and what he had escaped. I couldn't get to Jennings, he was still under guard, but I could get to the emergency room doctor who had first treated him. I'm not speaking to a journalist about a patient, miss. I'm not a journalist, I said. Well, you're not the police, are you? Who are you? To tell you the truth, I'm scared, Dr Lynch. I'm close to someone who's very close to Haskell, very close indeed. My, my friend won't talk to me, the police won't talk to me. I'm scared that what happened to Haskell will happen to, to my friend. The doctor looked at me. She was suspicious, but I could tell that she believed me. She looked over her shoulder, as if she had enemies everywhere. OK, I don't know a lot, but what I could gather was that he was kidnapped a month ago. He went out one night and never came back. They found him about 300 miles from his home. He was malnourished. Someone had tried to hang him. It looks like he escaped from whoever took him and wound up running cross-country. Cut himself up pretty bad. Physically he'll be okay, but he's in severe shock, PTSD. I'm no therapist, but I'd say he needs a lot of help. When I was treating him, he insisted I take off my face mask, said he wanted to be sure that I had a face. What did he mean? He said that the clowns had no faces. He was terrified that there were clowns in the hospital coming to take him away. There was nothing else to do but to head back where Haskell Jennings had been taken. It felt like a hopeless journey. The police would be there by now. Real journalists would have staked their interviews already. I was fingering worm casts instead of digging up treasure. I wanted to excavate and hold that precious coin in my hands, but just chasing down the same leads as everyone else wasn't going to leave me with anything other than a handful of someone else's shit, was it? But then that doctor had seen something in me, hadn't she? I had to believe that there was a path that was worth following and that I was good enough to find it in spite of what they all told me. The doctor had been good to me. I had to hold on to that. She'd even written me a prescription for painkillers before I'd left. I exhausted my supply that morning, after that night before. Jennings had been taken from his hometown. A small out-of-the-way place that had never troubled the rest of the country with anything devastating or inspiring. Just another town. He lived with his girlfriend in a small apartment above a workshop. She came to the door when I knocked for her. She wasn't interested in talking to me about her boyfriend, but she invited me in anyway. Small town politeness. Her apartment was dingy. She was keeping it clean, but she wasn't keeping it happy. It was small, even with just her in it. Christ knows what it would have been like with Heskell living there too. And then there was the fact that she was pregnant. I'm just so relieved that he's alive. I was so sure he was dead. Everyone told me he was dead. I'm just so relieved. I knew exactly what she meant. There was a small hold all in the corner of the room. It was stuffed with clothes. I was holding her up. She was fingering a coin, absent-mindedly but dutifully, as if it were a rosary. It was large and glittered in the gloom of the apartment. She put it down to make me a coffee. While her back was turned, I quickly snatched it up. It was silver, more a medallion than a coin. It was minted on one side with a tree, on the other with a skull. Below the skull was the legend 2016. She turned back. She glared at me, hurt. Put that down. I did as she told me. You wait your whole life for these moments. That's fine, I said. I have one of my own already. I took my silver coin out of my pocket. It was identical to hers, except the legend on mine read 1987. You know. I needed to do this right. To give her enough rope, but not to let her think that I was there to do the hanging. My mother died two years ago, I said. I found this in with her jewellery when I went through her things. I wouldn't have given it any thought, except 1987 was the year my father disappeared. What? I know, I said. That shit'll focus your attention. Last year, 
Last year, I heard about this guy who hanged himself in his garage. He had a silver coin just like this on his body when they found him. That coin had 2010 on it. Turns out a close friend of his had gone missing in 2010. I... What is this, I asked. Is this payment? Did someone pay you for your boyfriend? Is that what happened to my father? Please, you have to leave this alone. It's not... It's not real. It's not right to talk about it after it's done. I interrupted her. I can't find any reference anywhere, anywhere to these coins. But they're the key, aren't they? Please. There were 29 people found hanging dead from a tree last week, 300 miles away. I think Haskell was supposed to be number 30. The sooner you ask me, the sooner you can go back to him. I'll even drive you to him in the hospital. I, I just want the answers. And then she burst into tears. Horrible, horrible meaty sobs like she was being gutted. I took a step back, but I couldn't look away. When Daddy disappeared, Mum had days like this, but they became fewer and fewer, eventually, or at any rate, I stopped noticing them. But I never saw my father again, and this one would get the father of her child back. Without really knowing why, only just noticing it there, in fact, I felt a grinding ache of anger up against my heart. That was the point, she said suddenly. That was the whole point. They said he would be gone for good. Who said? I asked. They all said. That was the deal. What am I going to do? What am I going to do if he comes back? What happened to him? I asked. He ran away to join the circus, she told me. I had to get out of there. Staring at that screaming hysteria made me panic, made me want to disappear. My mother had been like that afterwards, sometimes. Useless. Just useless. I stood outside her place and lit a cigarette, my hands shaking. My hand was clutching my mother's silver coin so tightly that the skull was now imprinted on the palm of my hand. I'd go back. I'd go back to that ridiculous woman and I'd make her tell me the truth. What circus? I was starting to work it out. Haskell hadn't been stolen. He'd been given away. After my father vanished, I never saw bruises on my mother again. The heat from my cigarette became overpowering. I dropped it to the pavement and started to walk away from that wailing woman's apartment, but I could still feel the heat. It got stronger and stronger. I couldn't look back because I was suddenly afraid that she had set her home on fire, that she had nowhere else to run to, that she didn't want to leave anything for Heskel Jennings, or what was left to him, to come back for. I didn't look back. There was nothing in any local newspaper on file about any circus visiting their town, but I knew better now. The community would call upon the circus, and once they did so, they wouldn't need to advertise or want to tell anyone about it. A select command performance, with one special guest of honour. I bet that the circus toured the country once a year and that they gave 30 performances each tour. It would be a risk, but sometimes you have to fly without a net. It took another three years, but eventually the circus came to our town. Do we have a volunteer from the audience? grinned the ringmistress. Jesus, muttered Jude. He didn't notice everyone in the big top slowly turned to look at him. I hadn't appreciated the friends I had in my town until I started talking about the circus. Friends of friends of friends fed back snippets and hints. They had heard stories, knew people who knew the rituals and the summonings. All I'd needed to do was to ask my friends about the travelling circus siliquastrum, about how I needed someone to go away and never come back. I hadn't lied to the doctor in the hospital three years before. I had been scared that what had happened to Haskell Jennings would happen to Jude, but it wouldn't. Although Haskell had escaped, Jude wouldn't. As the clowns and acrobats with three-eyed skulls for faces led Jude down and away from me and towards the ringmistress, as everyone in the big top applauded, as Jude looked back at me with something one step further into the darkness than mere confusion in his eyes, 
I felt again that ache in my ribs from the night before last with him. I was feeling those bruises for the last time, I knew. In my aching heart, I thanked my mother for her example. You can't just let it happen to you, can you? You have to get involved. You can't just be a spectator. As they led Jude away, the ringmistress looked up at me, and somehow her smile, all bone and fangs and nowhere to hide, seemed genuine and kind. I suddenly thought that I remembered this strange woman, from the last time I had been to the circus, from when I had been sat between Mum, now applauding and laughing, and a suddenly vacated seat. Strange where you find your friends. To be continued. Thank you for listening.